I'm your host, Jacob O'Connor. Real Conversations is a podcast for those dedicated to doing hard things and living a meaningful life. This belief is perhaps best encapsulated by a quote from the great Teddy Roosevelt. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles, nor where the doer of deeds could have done them better. Now the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena. With that being said, welcome back to another episode of Real Conversations. And today, I'm joined by none other than Emily Frisella. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. I know. I'm excited, too. We were just talking before this that you and I have been in touch for a couple of years, and now we're finally getting to be in yeah, person to sit yeah. down. And uh, just super excited. Uh, we're here at the First Form headquarters, which is always so much bigger than I remember. <laughs> it's beautiful here. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we just opened our second building across the street here uh, two months ago. Then we got our third one that's going to be opening um, in about four or five months. How do you even process that? Like these are such massive buildings and there's so many people working here. I still don't know where the bathrooms are at in building two. I go over there. I'm like, where's the restroom at? And I'm just not used to that building. So, but no, thanks for making the trip into, I know it was kind of a long drive, so I appreciate it. More than happy to. It, it was actually funny because I mistimed it. I left too early. And so I had like an hour of lag time Oh, and I was like, oh, well, I'll just go take a nap or something. <laughs> Whatever works. Yep. So Emily, you have a really cool story. I feel like a lot of people that are unfamiliar with you know that, hey, you're Andy Forsello's wife. Mm -hmm. But people that are familiar with you know that you have a really neat entrepreneurial history. Yeah. And so I would love to kind of start in the fact that you were a business owner, like straight out of college, like young, right. like 20 years old. Yeah. What, yeah. Was, what was that like? So a disaster. <laughs> so um, yeah, I grew up on a row crop and cattle farm. My dad was an entrepreneur, had trucking companies and brokerage firms my whole life. And I always thought that entrepreneurship was like in my DNA and that I was just naturally going to be good at it because he was successful, which was absolutely false. Like I knew nothing. Again, you're young, dumb, you know, but you, you don't, you just have all the wind in your sails. You just think you're going to, you know, you're going to make it happen. And I did make it happen in turn, but it was definitely an experience being 20 years old. So when I was, uh, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. So I was 14. I started working two jobs to save up all my money that I could wow. because I knew I wanted to buy my first house because my parents are always like, you got to own it. Don't rent it. Don't waste your money. And so I bought my first house when I was 19 and um, it was a fixer upper house, fixed it all up. And then at 20, I bought my first building land and there was a storage unit behind it. I bought that and I opened my first business. It was a luxury flower shop, gift boutique, tuxedo rentals, wedding planning, wedding rental, all that jazz. And uh, so I went to school. I did not like school. I actually wanted to go to school to be an underwater welder was my first career, wow. my career choice. But it was a three-year wait list. And I, was, I hated school. I was good <laughs> at school, but I just didn't like it. And I thought, well, you know what? I'm just... I'm not going to go back to school if I have to wait three years. Like, I'll just go and do whatever because I had a scholarship, an academic scholarship I also needed to use. So I went to school for business management and horticulture. I um, only went to school for a year. I got my associates, but I knocked it out in one year just because I went six days a week oh, for a year. Just I just wanted it done. I just yeah. wanted it out of there. And uh, so that's the only, like, you know, post-high school uh, education that I have. And so I opened my business. and. I just messed everything up that you could possibly mess up. And I was very embarrassed. You know, you're 20 years old. You have this ego about you at 20 that like, oh, I'm going to be untouchable and all this stuff. I was very touchable. It was terrible. <laughs> and I had a lot of, I had six full-time employees and all of them were older than me. And I didn't understand a lot of things about business at the time. I never asked my dad for advice, which was a huge fault of me. 
you know, I didn't understand vendor terms and taxes. I just knew I had to pay taxes and sales tax, but I didn't understand all the ins and outs of like the proper way for me to account for them and have bank accounts for them. I didn't know all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I just completely winged it. And the huge slap in the face as a 20 year old entrepreneur that I am, I hated at the time, but now I feel so grateful for was I completely messed up my finances and I you know, didn't back then, you know, I'm obviously much older than you, I'm 41. And back then, um, we didn't have online banking. So you couldn't see in real time how much money you had. You had to wait for your bank statements to come at the end of the month. And you're like, oh, geez, what is this world? That's a guessing game. (laughs) Yeah. So you would always have to just wait for the end of the month for the bank to mail you your statement and tell you. And I mean, I would try to keep it on my books and everything, but I made a lot of mistakes, didn't account for them. And then one of my employees came to me and she said, Emily, the bank's not cashing my check. And I said, what do you mean? And you know that feeling when you know something's wrong and you get real hot, you know, like through your whole body. And I said, what do you mean? She's like, they said, there's no money in the account to cover this. And I was like, that's just a lie. And so I took the check. I was like, let me go straighten this out. Cause she banked at the same bank that my business checking was at. So that's how they knew. And I go up there and the teller shows me I had $42.86 in my bank account. Oh no. And I was just like, it was crippling. Cause I was just like, Oh, what am I going to do? Because immediately in my mind, I'm like, I've got five other employees that have checks that are going to come through. I've got other vendors I paid that their checks are going to be hitting too. And I had to buy flowers every single day, you know, for the business. I'm like, how am I going to do this? So I only lived about a mile away. So I ran home, got my savings account, withdrew cash out of it and deposited some into my checking account for the business, took cash back to my employees. And I told them, I was like, Hey, the bank messed something up. I bold faced lied to him. I said, the bank messed something up. I'm just going to pay you guys cash for like a couple weeks till we get things sorted out, which really in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, how am I going to get money in my account as fast as I possibly can? And I had to get super resourceful. And that's where the gift comes at later on in life is mm-hmm. that I've you know been able to think back about that and the things that I did to kind of get really like savvy and, you know, I got, I don't want to say conniving, but like get really like slick about how ways to like get right. marketing out there and at, you know, no cost. I think the biggest thing that, um, I did is I had hair about down to my butt and I cut it all off for about to my shoulders for locks of love because they made wigs for like mm. children and things. And I would love to sit here and say, I did it out of the goodness of my heart, but I didn't, I did it strictly for free advertising. Cause I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't afford any advertising. And our local newspaper went around to six different cities that I delivered all to. And in our small town paper, that was actually like front page news that I cut this business owner cut her <laughs> hair all off. And so there's a picture of me holding my long ponytail they cut off and uh, they are, you know, promoting me. And that paper went out to six different cities and it promoted my flower shop for free. I just had to cut my hair off. And then I would go through my dumpster and get dead flowers out and put those in foam and put like super gl- or, uh, hot glue, like spiderweb looking things around it. And I would sell my trash and call it a dead bouquet for like... 30th, 40th, 50th birthdays. And they went so popular. Like I was making a lot of money off of my trash. So I just did a lot of different things, you know, just trying to get funds acquired to cover this. And, you know, within about eight months, I was high six figures because I had just hustled my ass off to (laughs) to try to get some money in the bank. And, you know, it's just one of those things at the time it was absolutely devastating. It was terrible because I lied to my employees and I had to cover that lie every day when and internally I was panicking, freaking out, wondering how I'm going to make the next payroll, pay the next taxes, pay for supplies. Had I just been a little bit more transparent with them and say, hey, I messed up. This isn't going to happen again. I need you guys to help and rally around me and let's you know make this right. 
it would have been a lot easier. But at 20 years old with older employees, I didn't want them to think they were working for some dumb kid because they actually were. <laughs> well, at 20 years old, I'm sitting here thinking like, how much are you freaking out? You're a first time business owner. You've got $46. Yeah. Like, you didn't know that haircut was going to work. No, I didn't. It was a complete chance. And also I was thinking not just my employees, but now I am now using my savings to fund the, the business. And I have a house, I have a mortgage, you know, I have a car payment, I have everything else. So I just was, I was very, very hopeful. And I think almost like blindly optimistic with it. Cause I just, I remember thinking like, how am I going to make this work? But I just, in the back of my mind, I was like, it's going to work. I just know it. And I think that's just kind of the attitude that you have to have in entrepreneurship is like, because otherwise, you know, you, you can build up doomsday in your head and doomsday will happen. Yeah. You can have doomsday in front of you, but if you're like, okay, let me just attack it with everything I got, then it's, you know, it, you can, you can come out of it. And I think that is one thing that I definitely learned is one, you know, obviously staying up on your finances. <laughs> well, cause I just got those statements. I'm like, Oh, I'll, I'll balance my checkbook next week and next week. And then I had four months and then that's how I ended up getting myself in trouble. But I just think, you know, it's, it's, it is, was a blessing in disguise because now it's like, it taught me so much in, as a leader of what to do and what not to do. Do you still have a little bit of like that fear in you of like, hey, let's check the accounts. Let's make sure everything's in line. Oh yeah. I check our accounts every single day, our, our personal accounts, business accounts, everything. I do it every day though, too, is just, you know, it's not like, it, it's not because of like PTSD from what it was, but mm. just now with all like, you know, like online fraud and things like that, you right. know, I just, I want to catch it the day that it happens. So yeah, I'm on it every single day on every account. <laughs> that reminds me of my mom. I'm, everywhere she goes, she's got her checkbook and she'll like be balancing in real time at the yes. grocery store yeah, as yeah, it's yeah. happening. Yeah. And she, she's like, don't you do that? And I was like, I've never written anything down on paper. And yeah. she freaks her out. <laughs> yeah, I was I was always like that. I think because I came from the generation where like it's when ATM cards were new and debit cards mm. were new. And like back then you would take your paper checkbook, keep every single receipt that you use your debit card for. You'd have to make sure that it, you know, matched up. And now it's a little bit like you looser. And that's the thing is by me, you know, monitoring the accounts every day, I know what I did the day before. Right. You know, so um yeah, it's it's just fun. I love that, that your mom's like that. My mom's like that as well. <laughs> Yeah, it, it it's great. I mean, it was annoying growing up, but I can appreciate it now. Yeah. So where do you go from there after that business? So after that business, um, I was in a relationship that wasn't supportive of an entrepreneur mm. journey. And I worked a lot. And so one day um, I just decided, you know what, I'm, I, I just got, you know, it, and the thing is, the person was a great person, good person, just we came from different backgrounds mm -hmm. of the workload. You know, my parents were entrepreneurs, his parents were not. And it was just something where it was just, you know, I was like, this is, I, this is what my life is. Like I have to work 60, 70, 80 hours a week. It's just what it takes. Cause mm -hmm. I did all my own like invoicing and bookkeeping, you know, I'd work like in the business during work hours. And then I'd work on the business after hours there. And again, back then things weren't as accessible, you know, at home. And so I had all my, my computer there and everything else. So I did everything at work. And, uh, so when that relationship ended, I had decided to sell the business. So one day I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to sell the business. Like I, you know, it's just, it's not worth what's going on right, right now. And, uh, I put it for sale the next day it sold in three hours. That quick. I, yeah. That's and crazy. I know it was insane. And I sold the business, the building, the land, everything. And it was that kind of that punch in the gut. Like didn't expect that because, yeah. because it was very much so a, uh, knee jerk reaction to sell it. And then for it to sell in three hours, I'm like, the ink didn't even dry on the real estate papers yet. And now it's sold. And so then I um, went to help a friend out. I was general manager of her gym for a while because she was going through a divorce and she needed some help. So I did that. And then I um, was kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do then because I loved entrepreneurship, but I just, I couldn't figure out what I was going to do next. So then 
I took a job um, at a graphic design firm and uh, let's see, I worked there for about six years. I was their operations and accounting manager. Absolutely loved it. Loved the business, loved the people, my bosses, you know, my coworkers, everything. But there was still that thing inside of me of like, you're meant to not work for anyone else. You're meant to work for yourself. And I started writing a cookbook and that's actually that, that where that job is actually where I met Andy at. And um, so I started writing a cookbook and then finally Andy and I were dating at this time and it was like, or no, we were married at this time. And then one day at Christmas break, he was like, he was like, what about like, why don't you just quit you know, your career and finish your book and get going on that? I was like, well, yeah, I would love to, you know, love to do that. And then we thought about it because um, the design firm was closed for two weeks between Christmas and New Year. Mm. And then after that, I went back and put my notice in um, January 1. And I think I left the end of February and then uh, wrote a couple cookbooks, books, didn't kind of just branched into everything I'm doing now. How do you even write a cookbook? Like, where do you start? <laughs> it was a long process because, like I said, I was working full time. So it's like the nights and weekends and with recipes, you don't just like do a one and done. It's like, let me tweak it. Let me work it. All this jazz. So I just I didn't know what I was doing. I truly just started you know, figuring out like, okay, I'll get the macros right. I'll get, make it like more gluten free. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I took pictures and I got a quote for the cook cookbook for the pictures. And it was $25,000, um, for food photography. Oh and I was gosh. like, I got an iPhone. I could do this. So right. literally every picture of my first cookbook was taken on my iPhone. Oh, and it's I love so that. funny. Yeah. And I mean, it's not terrible, but it's definitely not great now that I look back on it. It's like kind of, you know, one of those like funny, embarrassing things, but I was just kind of bootstrapping it. You know, I just, I wanted to see what I could make of it on its own and not have to like dump a bunch of like personal money into it. And I was like, I'm just going to make this thing go. And then I started doing like Monday meetups at restaurants. I would sell tickets for like $10 to like, and just to pay for materials. Cause I would like instruct people on nutrition, health recipes, lifestyle organization, all this stuff. And I just have all these ladies, like every other Monday, they could buy a ticket and I would meet and it would be a conference table, like what we're sitting at. And I would just share with them some information. And they were kind of like my first, uh, real, like little soldiers on the ground to promote this cookbook and stuff. And then I did the cookbook and it was immediately an Amazon bestseller. It sold out in about a week and we're, you know, that's amazing. Yeah, it was great. I had so much like amazing support for it to make it go because had I not had that, it would have been a totally different ball game, you know, and it's just building that brand behind it. Because as I was writing the cookbook too, I was, that's when Snapchat was real hot, you know, and I was doing snaptorials every day. Cause okay. I was like, I need to put some free content out there. So every single day I was sharing a free recipe, um, healthy recipe for 14 months, mm-hmm. every single day. So people knew when they tuned in, they could catch a recipe each day. And, uh, I did that. And then it kind of gave those people a behind the scenes look of me writing my cookbook as well. And then when the cookbook came out again, that following, they all helped, you know, make it to the top of the charts. When you see your cookbook at the top of the charts, how does that feel? Weird. I mean, you want to celebrate it, but honestly, it's just kind of, it's just, it's kind of surreal, I think. Yeah. Especially, you know, when the first one hit that, it was surreal. But then after about a few months and it was still up there in the rankings, it was like, this is really cool. Like, I can do this again. And then I, so I wrote another cookbook after that. And then, uh, yeah, it just, it just becomes almost like a, like a drug. Like, okay, I, I kind of won, if you will, you right. know? And then you just want to do it again and again. That winning feeling is so contagious. It is. And that's the thing is like you just it becomes a drug and you want to replicate that over and over again in different aspects. Whatever you can do, it's like I want to feel that again. It's like that dopamine hit, you know, and the when the dopamine drops out, you're like, okay, I need that again. And so you want to do something else big again. So after the two cookbooks, what do you, where do you go from there? So um, let's see here. So I had the two cookbooks and then I started my women in business workshop, which is like a leadership uh, workshop for women that I host once or twice a year. 
And then I started a paper and plan company um, in September of 2020. It's like luxury papers and sta- paper stationery uh, planners, things like that. And then I wrote my third cookbook, which is a leadership book um, that came out about, it was October, 2022, that book came out. So, and then now it's just, you know, I do a lot of you know, speaking, uh, business coaching, um, do my women business workshop. I run Andy's brands for 447 Media. So lots of, lots of things going on. Do you enjoy having a lot of different projects going on at once? Because I find personally that like if I'm focused on just one thing and I hit a dead end, I just get frustrated. And it's nice to be able to flip flop back and forth, think about Mm -hmm. in the back of my mind while I'm doing something else. Absolutely. Yeah. And I like I like the multiple projects because I like because it's like if like you just said, you get to like a dead end and you're just like, okay, I'm tapped out. Yeah. You can kind of reinvigorate yourself by jumping to another you know, company or brand or whatever you're working on other project. So I do really like it. There's times when we have really hard pushes that I'm thinking I'm an absolute insane idiot to be doing this because everything, all the businesses require all of my attention. And obviously you can't give that. Mm -hmm. So then it comes down to like, that's why I use my planner for is like prioritizing, like what it's all, when everything's a priority, how do you prioritize? So it's really breaking it down into like the micro level of, okay, well, this is going to yield you know, revenue more quickly, or this one is going to take more lead time because let's say it's got to get, go to printing and it's going to be six months or something. So I really like to put like pen to paper on that. I'm not a tech person. I like to put pen to paper to gauge what is my return going to be on each of these. And that helps me base how I prioritize things. So it's, it's great. I absolutely love it. But yeah, at times there's just like, what am I thinking taking on all this stuff? With your planner, I've, I'm a terrible planner. Like I keep yeah. everything up in my head or it's on a note somewhere. Oh, randomly you give me anxiety <laughs> in, in my phone. Do you see with your sales that it's more towards women or do you see a lot of men buying planners um, too? We have about 35% male okay. demographic that purchases our planners. And I think that it's a lot of people just as like, they'll do it as like, cause for my team here, for our media company, I keep a digital planner because our digital calendar, like just the iCal on our uh, phones, because I have to get in real time with all my team members. So they mm-hmm. can see it as I change. Cause I have an office here, but I don't, I'm not here every single day, all day. It's like four hours a day or something. So I use that for all my guys. And then, um, I personally keep my paper planner just because I like to see a visual of what is going on every day and the time blocks that I have etched out because on a digital planner, I just can't do that. It's like, I don't like that visual mm-hmm. look of it. Um, so I like to just write things out. And plus they actually say, you know, you do remember things better when you write it down. That's fair. Yeah. And I, pl- plus I just like to like cross <laughs> it off the list. <laughs> so you're in a unique position where you are clearly a high performer yourself, mm-hmm. but you've also married and found yourself yeah. a high performer. <laughs> yeah. What is the dynamic of that relationship look like? Yeah. Like, I'm so grateful. We're like such a great team. So we met back in uh, 2006. I was actually Andy's bill collector and uh, oh, nice. at the design firm. Yeah. He, uh, he was just starting out. First form wasn't around yet. He had been a few years into S2 and uh, he was moving back up here and was going to open some stores up here and came in for a truck wrap on his uh, truck. And <laughs> he was pouring all his money into the business and didn't have the funds to pay for it right away. Um, Cause again, he was trying to fund the businesses. And so I was just like trying to work out payment terms and stuff with him. And so we knew each other about three years. And then one day we both, we were both single and went to like a happy hour for my, I think it was my boss because he was friends with my boss at that time too. And uh, then we just kind of hit it off. And then we've been together since, so about 15 years, um, been married 11. And it's been amazing because, you know, he was an entrepreneur whenever I met him and I was an entrepreneur, you know, from my past life with the flower shop. And it's been it's, it's the best teammate I could ever ask for. 
because it's someone that gets what it takes. You know, he's an extreme high performer. He's going a hundred miles an hour every single day, full speed ahead. And it's, and you need that because, you know, I look at couples that don't, one's an entrepreneur, one is not. The one that is not an entrepreneur doesn't fully understand what it takes and can be, you know, nagging or, you know, argumentative towards the person that's an entrepreneur of like the time they're taking, investing in the business. But it's like you're, they're working towards a life that you're a part of. So it's very important to be supportive of that. And I also think that we were both blessed because we both grew up in entrepreneur families. Like his right. dad was an entrepreneur, my dad was an entrepreneur. He and I don't know anything different than other than entrepreneurship. So yeah. I think that's also like a blessing in disguise. But yeah, it's absolutely like fantastic. We have a great working relationship, good dynamic. Um, you know, people always ask that, like, what's it like to work together and live together? Yeah. Um, and you know, they're like, how do you separate work and you know, business. And a lot of it's, you know, we're in the walls of this, these, this building it's business. Obviously when we go home, we'll unwind, we'll go down to his garage and he'll smoke a cigar and I'll sit there and we'll just kind of like, you know, kind of brief debrief each other about our day. Um, what's going on. I'll ask any questions that I have about projects or anything like that. And then we go back up to the house for dinner. It's like, it's business is over then, you know, it's, it's time for you know, husband and wife then. So we've, we've developed this like system and it was all unspoken. It just kind of naturally happened mm-hmm. because we didn't, that was one thing that was important to us. We didn't want to be coworkers that live together. You know, it was very important for us to keep that, that, you know, husband and wife relationship. And then also, you know, he's my boss here at work. <laughs> That's super cool. Yeah. I had, um, Sean Whalen on the podcast oh, yeah. a couple of years ago mm-hmm. and we never talk about relationships in the podcast. I don't even know how it came up, but he started talking and he shouted out you and Andy and he said, you can tell the quality of a relationship based on the quality of the fights and what the fights are about. And he, I don't know, he must've been talking to Andy and the, the moral of the story was that you guys, any sort of bickering or fights that would come up, wasn't little petty stuff. It wasn't like, you know, what are you doing out till this time or that time or whatever? It was things about business, things about what you're trying to build in the future you're trying to create. Yeah. I thought that was super cool. Yeah. Well, there's just bigger fish to fry. You know, people want to nitpick. It's like, you know, that whole saying you have to pick your battles. It's so cliche, but it's cliche because it's true. And I just think that when you fight these little small fights or arguments, that's, I think that correlates with what you've actually got going on in your mind where it's like, you're thinking about little petty stuff like that. You're focusing on that little stuff and you can't do big shit with little thoughts. So, oh, that's awesome. you know, so I just think it's one of those things where you really have to think about like, what is the impact of this? You know, what is going to be the ramifications of this, the, you know, the consequences or whatever. And that's the stuff you deal with, you know? So it's just too many people get caught up in like the little BS of life. Yeah. Well, in a lot of my listeners, I shared this with you beforehand. They're John and my age. We're mm-hmm. 22, 23. And you know, this is something we never talk about, but we don't, to be honest, we don't do a great job of having a lot of women on the podcast. So something I'd love to ask you is like, how do you find that quality partner that is going to meet you at that level that you're trying to perform and, and to play at that higher level rather than having the small little issues? You have to be that person first. You know, that's, that's the thing about it. Like you have to be the person that has high standards, that wants to push hard in life, that wants to achieve more because you're going to end up attracting those people to you because the people that are not performing at that, they're going to be intimidated by you and not necessarily want to approach you or talk to you. But, you know, whenever you're doing things in life, you exude confidence in what it is, no matter if you're just starting out or, you know, you've been on the journey for a while, it's you being confident in who you are to attract that partner and also being very upfront whenever you maybe first start dating in a relationship of like, you know, let's, cause this is one thing I see with young, young people a lot is let's just say you're, you know, 22 year old guy and you meet a girl and you're doing big business, you know, you're getting your business off the ground or you're working on something and you're going to open a business. 
they meet a girl or this can also be obviously like roles reversed, but then they get so in love and this, you know, all this jazz and they just kind of abandon their original goal for this person. And then what happens is, is that whenever you're, let's say the honeymoon stage of dating or whatever, the woo woo phase is over and you go back to what you were doing before, but you, now you have a relationship. They don't understand that because you gave them everything you had up front and now you're retracting from mm. them when you're really not, but you're just focusing, going back to what you were focused on. Then that can cause resentment. They don't understand what's going on. So I think it's very important that you're very upfront with people and say, hey, this is what I got going on in life. You know, I currently work 60 hours a week. You know, I really don't have a lot of time except, you know, on the weekends or, you know, whatever. And then let them be okay with that, yeah. you know, because you have to set that, that tone and that precedence right up front. Because I think too many times we try to cater to another person. And don't get me wrong, when you're in a relationship, it's exciting and it's fun and all this jazz. But it can come back and kind of bite you in the butt later because those people are not going to have that understanding. That is super cool. I'm literally just like sitting here processing everything. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just, I don't know. I just, I hear from young people, you know, that I have young people on my team and, you know, it can be the demise. You have to have a solid person, whether you're just dating, you're married, whatever, engaged, you have to have a solid person behind you or you're just, it's, it's going to be, it's going to ultimately lead to your success or your demise because that person's going to be chirping in your ear. Like, what are you going home to? What are you dealing with on the phone when you leave work? You know, you really need to think about that before you get in too deep in these relationships. <laughs> That's just crazy. So with you guys being together, married and building businesses together, ultimately, are you guys shooting towards the same target of, you know, first form is going to be massive and we're focusing on all of these projects we're doing together? Or do you still have your own projects? I know we kind of talked about those that you're planning to take to a massive scale yourself. Yeah. So um, our focus, obviously, yes, is on all the brands that we have under like the first form umbrella and then Andy's personal brand and things like that. My brands also, um, you know, Women in Business Workshop is more of a networking community type aspect. Mm -hmm. It's not a, I don't do it for profit or anything like that. It's just, I sell the tickets for the price of what it costs to put the event on. I just want to build community with these ladies because there's not enough women out there that are like, um, I don't know how to say this right, but more like masculine energy mm. that aren't, that we, we don't do the wine and paint. We don't do the woo woo. We don't dance on stage and have glitter pens and all this other stuff. It's just, you know, it's tactical real world stuff. And I couldn't find women like that. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I'll just hold an event and find some. So I always tease it. It's like, I held it for whole find my own friends or something. <laughs> but, um, so that's just something that I'll just continue to do is like a, a value, uh, a value uh, type company, if you will. Mm -hmm. But the paper and plan co, yeah, we've got a lot of, you know, like wholesaling and stuff going on right now and growing that. Um, I want to grow that obviously as large as I can. But so I feel like it's almost kind of in conjunction, like first form. Yes, obviously priority in that mm -hmm. with Andy's brands. And then also mine is like a totally different little little uh side thing right now. Well, I wouldn't say a little side thing though. Well, it's not I it's not, but I mean like it's just a side job. I have uh four or five employees right now that work with me on that, but it's like, you know, we're only we just entered our third year, so it's still just like we're growing now. Up. Yeah, exactly. So right now it's um kind of just, you know, in its infancy, I guess you will say. Are you guys uh, retail or e-commerce or both? We're e-com and then we're going into retail right now. We don't do customer facing ourselves, okay. but we're into like uh, boutiques and things like that to, that we wholesale our products to. Oh, nice. So is that yeah. the plan? Like as you grow, just do more retail locations? Correct. Yes. Yeah. I won't do, I, I personally won't do a customer facing um, store as of right now. Now this might come back 10 years and bite me in the butt that I said this, but um, as of right now, no, because what, something that unique and that I'm proud of about my the girls that work for me, I have all women that work for me and um, half of them, over half of them are mothers. And so they can, they work six hours a day. They work nine to three. 
They drop their kids off at school. They come to work. They work in the office. They leave at three. They can go pick their kids up from school, do after school activities. Great so, hours. so yeah, so it's, and they get all their work. They, they are killers. They absolutely kill it in that six hours a day. And you know, obviously they take lunch and stuff, but <laughs> they're just hustlers and they get it all done. And uh, so that's something I really am proud to have with my girls. Um, and they work their butts off. So, and they're all in it too. Like we're like, we're in this ship together and we're going to make it happen. So I'm very fortunate for that. That is one thing that First Form definitely has, and that you just talked about having is like that buy-in from the employees. And you would probably even view them as employees, like you're all on a team together. How do you cultivate that? Yeah, it's really just, you know, it's caring. That's what it boils down to. There's no trick of trick about it. There's no like pixie dust or anything else. It's just, you just actually have to care. And when you show people you care, and when you set the standard yourself, they will know, they can feel that you, that care is genuine. And they're also going to want to hold that standard because they know what you do. Like one thing here at First Form is that you'll go into any of these bathrooms here, the sinks are dry. When people wash their hands, they don't just like dry their hands off and wipe off any, you know, water droplets on the sink or on the vanity. They wipe out the whole entire sink and dry it. It's just the standard that we set here. The water fountains will never have water in the pan of the water fountain because when you get water, if any of it drips into the actual water fountain itself, you go and you get a towel and you wipe it out. We, we don't have a cleaning crew here. It's all us. And it's about just holding that standard and holding the line because then when you bring new people in, the people that have already been here kind of sew in that culture to the other people and figure out like they'll either weed them out or they'll accept them in. They're like self-monitoring. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that's crazy. Yeah. Like the 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 team will cut the, their cancers out themselves instead of you having to deal with it. Wow. So did, how many employees are here in this building? Um, I believe it's about 500. 500. That's crazy. Yeah. And so to not have a cleaning crew and to self-regulate that is... It, the discipline and the culture it has to be just something unmatched elsewhere. Yeah, they're just they're just such good, good people here. Just such a solid team. And everybody's always going to help you. I mean, I can't tell you how many times that I walk out of here and I'll have boxes and stuff because I have like packages shipped up here. And no matter what they're doing, they will jump out of their desk and like race me to the door to open the door for me. And it's not just because I'm the quote boss's wife. <laughs> it's that's just they do that for any anybody. You know, they're always willing to, you know, lend a hand and help out. It's just very, very good, good-hearted people here. Mm-hmm. And I love that you guys built this in St. Louis because like growing up here, I was like, you know, what is there? I want to go elsewhere. I want to see the, mm-hmm. what else is out there. And now as I'm getting older, it's like, wow, this is here and they're keeping it here yeah. and it's expanding. It's yeah. growing quickly. Yeah. It's, it's really cool to have it in your hometown. You know, I think a, a lot of people enjoy that as well. And, you know, they'll see our products out in the grocery stores and things. And they just love that. It's like that hometown, mm-hmm. you know, pride that we have, you know, it's like, you had AB before they sold, and then you had the Cardinals, and now at first form. <laughs> yeah, and I love that you have the first form sign of Bush Stadium. Too. Yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah, we have that. Uh, that, and then we have a couple of billboards on the way down there and stuff. And nice, so that's cool. So one of the taglines for the podcast is "Do hard things and live a meaningful life." And so I want to ask you, what role does fitness play in your life? Oh, it's huge because I can always tell whenever I'm off my game if I'm, you know, not working out regularly or eating regularly. I feel like mental fog. I don't feel as sharp. I don't feel as good or as confident in my decisions. And I think a lot of people think that it's just an aesthetic thing, but it's not like when I was younger, yeah, I was all about aesthetics. Like I just wanted to look fit. Mm-hmm. But as I get older is it, it, it shifts. And I know you have a younger audience listening, but it does shift. Like it, it the aesthetic obviously is still nice, but it's more about, okay, I need to be build muscle for the foundation of my life, you know, cause like it's my uh, good friend and one of my business partners in my book club. Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, she um, just wrote a New York Times bestseller about that. It's like muscle-centric medicine. It's like muscle is the organ of longevity. Like you need that as you um, age. So it's that, but it's really, it's like to be a high performer, I don't know anybody that is really successful that doesn't take care of their fitness. 
you know, if you really think about these like larger companies and people, you don't see them, you know, obese and trying to run the companies like, no, they've got to be on the top of their game. And when you are on the top of your game, you're going to, you're going to have more A players come to your team because you hold that standard and you hold the line. They want to be a part of that as well. So I think it is absolutely crucial. And you, you talk about like seeing the leaders do that. I, just following online, we've seen a really cool transformation with Andy. Oh over yeah, the last, like, yeah. Four or five years. Yeah, yeah. It's been. Uh, he started that. I guess he started this real trans. His big transformation in 2016, I guess it was. And then when he started uh, 75 Hard, when he founded that in uh, 2019, that's when I think it like really went to the next level. So, yeah. so when he's running a massive business and he comes home stressed, and you're running your business and you come home stressed, how do you guys meet each other? You know, I think that's one of the things that's so good about the relationship that we have is that we get it. And, you know, I will let him and he'll let me just be by ourselves and just decompress because nobody wants to go home and have someone like, how's your day? What's going on? And you have to rehash all the stressors or the the fires you had to put out that day. So we just give each other space, you know, Um, he'll go down to his garage and smoke a cigar and just kind of decompress. I'll go in the house. And my thing is like, I love to organize and stuff. (laughs) I'm like wild. Just so weird. And I'll just organize something because I think it's that instant gratification I see when yeah. I organize something. It's like gives me peace of mind. Like I'm in control of this. My day got out of control mm-hmm. of things I couldn't control, but I can control this one thing. Or like I'll start cooking dinner earlier because I love cooking. And I cook our dinner every single night, but I'll just start cooking. And that way I can take my time with it and enjoy it and mm-hmm. kind of decompress. Um, but as far as like, how do you handle that? Like sometimes, you know, if we're talking to each other, and I'll say like, well, do you want me, do you want my opinion on this? Or you just want me to like, do you just want to vent or, you know, and vice versa. It's like, just, just being there to hear each other. Yeah. It's like actually being honest instead of like trying to fix the problem. Ask what, what do, what do you want from this? Yeah. Yeah. Because you don't, sometimes you just, there is no fix. You don't want to hear it. You just want to be like, here's what you just want to be able to vent it to somebody that's kind of like quote outside of the the subject. That's really cool. Uh, do you ever find yourself like making a mess so you can clean it up so that you can have, you can take the time and like just process? No, I do that for other people. Um, <laughs> like I just did, I did a girl's cube cubicle here. I was like, oh, I'm going to pimp your cube. And so like I went on a little shopping spree and got stuff. It made her cube look all cute and stuff. And, or else I'll tell my sister, I'm like, I want to come over and do your pantry. Like everyone's just teaser and stuff. But no, I, I don't do that. I'm not that crazy yet. <laughs> That's great. Well, Emily, I really appreciate the time. I know we've got to start wrapping up. So two quick questions for you. Yeah. The first one being, where can people connect with you if they want to learn more, yeah. find your books, your cookbooks, yeah. um, planners, everything? Uh, the easiest way is just my Instagram. It's just at Emily Frisella. And then everything's there, like link in bio. Okay, perfect. Yeah. And then my last question for you is, looking back at this really cool journey you've been on, what advice would you offer to your 22-year-old self? Yeah. I think one thing is um, don't wait on things to happen. You have to actually make them happen. So one of my favorite quotes that I have on like my notepads, I have a frame in my office that says, do first what you don't want to do most. Mm. And that is something that I try to live by and just dive in and do it. Um, Part of any sort of journey, whether it be entrepreneur, asking someone out on a date, whatever it is, you just got to do it and you'll build the net on the way down to catch yourself. I love that. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me.